You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys here at Foothills Church. Um, it's been a couple of weeks, I guess, since I've preached, so let me introduce myself. For those of you who might be new, I'm Trent Stewart, the lead pastor here. Man, we're excited that you have chosen to join us for what I think is a great sermon series on the life of David. And last week, we began with David being anointed as the king and And uh, we learned that it's very likely that we tend to look at the external um, things in life, but we learned that the scripture teaches us God looks at the inside. He looks to the heart. And so that's going to be a continuous theme that we see through the life of David. And and, uh, if you've got your Bibles, let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And we're going to be in that chapter and cover several Uh, verses here today. Uh, In the life of David today, he faces the giant Goliath. And so one of the most popular and famous stories of all time, not just Bible stories, but stories of all time. And so if we were to go to Kid Street today and and ask the kids to give us a, uh, tell the story of David and Goliath, chances are they could all tell us the story. And it's because it's so popular. And growing up as a kid, it was one of my favorite stories. Whew. Not your favorite story, I guess. It was one of my favorite stories, and, and, and I love to hear it told and love to learn about it. I mean, who wouldn't like, you know, the small guy versus the giant? And, and uh, you know, what I found, though, is as I got older, uh, the story kind of frustrated me a little bit. Uh, because what I continually bump up against when I read stories about men like David with this great courage and, and all of these amazing things happening in his life, like Moses and Abraham, is I walk away from those when I look at it selfishly, like, man, I, I'm just never going to be that good. My faith is never going to be that strong. I'm never going to have that kind of courage. I, I'm never going to be able to, to, you know, to save the day, you know, win the girl and, and slay the dragon, you know. And, and, and if you're not careful, you'll look at the Bible and you'll see stories like this and you'll walk away a little defeated because, I mean, you know, we have our problems with marriage and with relationships and work and we're fumbling. There's so many cracks in our life and holes in our life. And we're like, man, I'm barely hanging on, let alone going to be able to kill a giant like David. And what I want us to do, though, is I want us to look at this story and, and learn some life lessons that I think if you apply to your life today, it'll help you move closer to Jesus, but it will also help us to make a huge difference in our life. And so remembering that God's not calling you to be David, he's calling you to be you, but through the story, I think we can learn some helpful lessons. Let's look at chapter 17, beginning in verse one together. Here we go. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle and they were gathered at Sokah, which belongs to Judah. So the, the Philistines were in the Israelite territory. This is their land, and they have invaded their land. And they encamped between Sokah and Azekah in Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and the Israel and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. 
And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. So let's set the scene here. Here we have an, an, an enemy army has invaded their land and they are encamped on two sides of the Valley of Elah, which is a huge valley, about a mile wide. And on one side of the valley is the army of the Philistines. On the other side of the valley is the army of the Israelites. And in between is a dried up riverbed where David will later grab five stones for his battle against Goliath. And it's at this point that we begin to see just how massive this man Goliath really is. The scripture takes several verses here to explain just how huge he is. I mean, by all estimates, most scholars believe that Goliath was nine feet, nine inches tall. So he was massive. This is a huge, huge man. And it wasn't just his size, but it's, it's his, well, his armor and what he's wearing. It's called a coat of mail. And it would have weighed upwards of 125 to 150 pounds. So he is laden in bronze, like a huge bronze helmet, bronze armor on his legs. He has this massive spear, and the tip of the spear weighs 25 pounds. So, I mean, can you imagine you yourself throwing a 25-pound dumbbell? I mean, it's almost unfathomable. This is a giant of a man, a fierce warrior. The Philistines call him their champion. And so with that weightiness, with this massive man, we see his challenge in verse 8. Look at it with me. In verse 8, it says, He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul, Saul's the king, and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So Goliath comes forward, this massive warrior of a man, and he issues this challenge you send your best guy, I'm the Philistines' best guy, and we will fight man to man, mano e mano, and the winner takes all. So whoever wins the battle, your army wins, and if you win, your army wins. Now, this was not an uncommon way to do battle in the Eastern world at this time. This would have saved hundreds, if not thousands, of lives, and so that's one of the reasons why they, they battled in this way. And the other thing that a battle like this revealed was the will of the gods, the will of the God of that nation. And so it was an important style of fighting. And so when Goliath gives this challenge, King Saul, he sees this giant. He sees the odds stacked against him because he looks at the external circumstances. He sees how this man is so large. He doubts himself. He doubts his own men he's looking at the outward appearance and he does what you and I often do we make those judgments on what we see instead of what God sees let's look and read verse 14 now and 16 hop down now David 
was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And for 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand, morning and evening. Didn't just happen one day. This man, Goliath, came forward and defied the army of God in the morning and in the evening, every day for 40 days. I mean, this is incredible. And I want to pause for a second and share with you what's called the Goliath principle. So the Goliath principle simply means this. The longer you wait to address a problem, the bigger that problem becomes. Imagine on day one when Goliath steps forward and issues this challenge and all the men from Israel hear the challenge and they go back to their tents and they're like, all right, guys, he's challenged us. Who's going to fight him? I, I'm, you know, I don't know who's going to fight. What about you? Hey, I, 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 how about you, man? You, you, you're pretty strong. I think you could do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, let me pray about that. Go home and talk to the wife and let me just feel it out. Let me sense it, you know. Right now I'm feeling a no, but, but I might feel a yes, you know. Let me just pray about it. What about you, man? You're, you're pretty, you're, you're a stud, man. You should go after. Yeah, let me think. Can you imagine the, the, the kind of back and forth and then everybody kind of thinking, well, hey, Saul's the king right? He's the most physically, you know, equipped to do this. He's the tallest. He's the biggest. He, he should do this. Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, no, we don't, we're not going to do this. We're too afraid. We're too scared. And, and maybe on day one, when they were considering it in day two and week one, now has become such a huge problem. They are frozen with fear. Now, you've probably experienced this in your life. You've experienced a problem at work, a problem in your marriage. You knew you needed to address it. You, needed, you knew you needed to have a conversation. You knew you needed to fix it. But for whatever reasons, you were afraid. You weren't sure how it was going to turn out. You didn't know what was going to happen. And so you decided to put it off. And the longer you put it off, the bigger the problem became. And the larger the problem became, the more afraid you were to do anything about it. This is the Goliath principle. Now, now we look at David, and we're going to see that on day one, David hears the challenge from Goliath, and he's like, who's this dude? Who's this some circumcised dude? Like, we need to go fight him. I will fight. So day one, he tackles the problem. Day one, he deals with the issue. And so the principle that we want to learn today is that we've got to attack our problems as soon as possible. Don't wait, because problems don't shrink. They only get larger. Now, David is we are learning here that David is going back and forth here in verses 14 and 16. We're seeing he's, he's an armor bearer for Saul, so he's a servant for Saul. And then he's running back to his dad's house, and he's a shepherd for his dad, and he's running errands for his dad, and he's doing some menial tasks for his dad as well. And, and so think about this. Last week, you were anointed the king of Israel. You're going to be the leader, dude. But guess what? I need you to watch the sheep today and I need you to run errands for the king and I need you to, you know, to do this and to do that. These all these small little tasks. Can you imagine the frustration that David might have experienced? Now, notice during this process, this season of growth for him, he's not sending out resumes you know, to different nations saying, I want to be a giant slayer. I'm going to be the king. I'm going to be this great leader. And he's not, he's not like announcing to the world who he is or what he thinks he's going to be. He's not trying to prove himself to anyone. He wasn't trying to make a name for himself with ambitions of fame. We see him doing the work that his father gives him to do, feeding sheep, running errands, not 
very glamorous. David didn't know it, but it was during this season of his life that God is preparing him and growing him and giving him the skills that he's going to need to defeat the giant. So he's learning how to kill lions. He's learning how to kill and protect his sheep and kill bears and how to sling a rock. And, 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 and he's focusing on that. And, and God is growing him into this giant slayer. But right now, it probably felt insignificant. If you're taking notes, life lesson number one from this story is to be excellent in the small things because big opportunities are opened by little doors. Think about it. He's faithful in the small things of his life, tending sheep, tending the needs of Saul, running errands, all of these small little tasks that that you and I might feel too entitled to do. We're above that. We're too good for that. We're gonna be the leader. We're We're the anointed one. And yet he does them faithfully. And it's out of the the faithfulness of accomplishing these small things that God gives to us that these larger opportunities will come our way. But if you're always looking for the big door, if you're always looking for the big next awesome thing, you'll miss what's right in front of you, which may look like a small door, but it will lead to big opportunities. David is faithful here. He's excellent in the small things. Look at what happens next in verse 17. And Jesse said to David, his son, Take for your brothers an ephah of this, of this uh, parched grain and, and these ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also, take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousands. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. So, anointed king David, shepherd boy, errand boy, here's what I need you to do, man. Go take some cheese to the real warriors. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Like, I know you're going to be the king, but I need you to be, you know, a a cheese delivery man today. How humiliating. I mean, if you think about it, you, you you would think that David might buck the system a little bit here and say, hey, dad, you take it. I'm the king. I want some grapes and a fan because I'm a little hot. But he doesn't do that. He's excellent in the small things because it's through these small things and the faithfulness of acting upon these small things that lead to greater and bigger opportunities. And so I want to encourage you and challenge you today. Are you being faithful with the little things that God has given you to do today? Are you doing what you say you're going to do at work? Are you being honest with the business deal? Are you accomplishing what you say you're going to accomplish? Be excellent in these environments. Choose love instead of hate. Make good on your commitments and manage the things that God has given to you. No matter how much he's given to you or maybe how small they are, manage them well. David is not broadcasting to the world how awesome he is and how wonderful he's going to be. He simply is faithful in the small things that God has given to him to do. Notice, he doesn't move away into the you know, wilderness of Russia in the snow and train for Goliath like Rocky does, you know. He's not watching game film on Goliath. He simply wakes up just like every other day. His father gives him the next errand to run, and he does it faithfully. He had no idea that that day would be the day that would change his life forever. 
you and I must be faithful in the little things as well. Now, verses 22 through 26, David sees his brothers on the front line. He delivers the cheese. He takes the bread, you know, and he hears the, the words from Goliath, the challenge that is given to or from Goliath, and he is ticked, man. He is upset. And as he hears this, he begins to ask these questions like, what's gonna happen and, 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 and who's gonna take charge of this? And in verse 26, we hear his words for the first time in scripture. Verse 26, and David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? You see, the motivation for David was that this man is defying God. He is defaming God. He is dishonoring God by doing this. And so his motivation is to bring honor to God by truly in faith and by trusting him, do whatever's necessary to defeat him. Now, King Saul had promised in verse 26 that whoever kills Goliath is going to get riches, is going to get to marry his daughter, you know, the princess, and he's never going to have to pay taxes. Now think about that deal. Get rich, marry the princess, never pay taxes. That's a pretty good deal right there. So, so I mean, he's, he's, he's excited about that, I'm sure, but his motivation ultimately is to bring glory to God. David is ready to fight Goliath. And in verse 28, right before he's able to fight Goliath, he has to fight against criticism. Look at verse 28. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. Now, remember who's speaking. This is Eliab, the oldest son, the older brother. And last week, everybody thought, you know, Eliab's going to be the next king. He's got the age, he's got the looks, he's got the, you know, the physical appearance. But God passes over him and chooses the younger brother, Right? And, and, and it's because God doesn't look on the external, he looks at the internal. And so every older brother in the room is rolling their eyes right now. Every older sister. Why? Because once again, the youngest gets everything that they want. You know, it's a biblical principle. I told my parents every day they were showing favoritism, right? But yeah, no, so God doesn't look at the external, he looks at the internal. And so Eliab is obviously jealous and angry. And his first response when he hears David speak is to humiliate him. And so he tries his best to criticize him and he tries his best to humiliate him. And, and life lesson two today is this. Criticism cannot stop you, but it certainly can paralyze you. It can't stop you today, but it can paralyze you. It can freeze you. Eliab says to, to, to David, hey, where's all those sheep, man? In front of all of his army buddies, can you imagine the humiliation? Yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a shepherd, <laughs> and, and there are a few sheep. You don't have a lot. Let's just make that clear. But you got a few, and that's what you're doing, and we're warriors, and we're standing here. And so he's condemning and trying to humiliate him. Not only that, but then he questions his character, and he's like, yeah, I know why you're here. You're here because you just want to come and see the real men work. You want to come, and you want to watch the real warriors 
You see, criticism comes at us in many forms, doesn't it? And if you are leading in any way, if you're trying to follow the Lord and you're, you're trying to engage culture with the gospel, you're trying to step into the calling that God has given to you, no doubt, 100% of the time, criticism will take place. Sometimes from those who are closest to you, your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad, a friend, even at church, will criticize you and say, you know what, what are you doing, man? Your life's a wreck. How can you help anybody? How are you going to make a difference? You're just one person. You're not even that talented. What are you going to do when the criticism comes? What are you going to do when, when people attack your character? Man, if you're a leader, this is happening to you. You're, you're experiencing this. If you lead your own organization or, or whatever it is you're, you're leading in, it will happen. It's happened to me. People will hear a story or take a story and twist it to make, make me out to be an, an evil person or, or like my motives are, are impure or, or they'll hear something I say and twist it to say this or to say that. And so criticism comes and, and honestly, if, if you let it, it'll paralyze you because you know what you do? You think about it. You think about how you can fix it and you wanna to go to every single person that heard this or heard that and say, no, no, this isn't happening. This is the truth and here's how it worked out and and that's what you spend your time doing. And if you do that, what you're allowing to happen is you're fighting the wrong enemy. You're fighting the wrong people. What we see David do is he fights the one true enemy, which is Goliath. He doesn't let the criticism distract him. He doesn't let it drag him down. He doesn't believe in it. And trust me, I, I, I guarantee that David was a little insecure. David was, was, was feeling like, man, I, don't, I'm, I, I said that, but ugh, I, Maybe they're right. I'm not really the guy. Maybe I'm not. I don't know. But he doesn't let criticism stop him. In verse 32, he says, I will go and fight. He ignores the criticism and the second guessers, and he says, I'm walking with the Lord here. My focus is on the real problem. Now, here's life lesson three. Courage is not the absence of fear, but it's the determination to act in faith in spite of that fear. Now, this is what I struggled with when I look at stories in the Bible like this, is, is I, will, I will put myself in their shoes and I will, I will say, you know, I, they, 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 you know, he did this. Certainly he wasn't afraid. I see people, you know, other pastors, other leaders and successful in doing things and you think, well, man, they did that and they just overcame their fear. They overcame their fear. They charged forward. Good for them, but I just can't overcome my insecurities. I can't overcome my fear, but what I've learned is that when you are trusting God and following God into new territories, you're trusting God, he's making you brave, right? We just sang that. And as we are doing that, you will still sense some fear within you. You will still doubt in some ways. You're not perfect. And so as you are doubting and you are fearing, that doesn't mean you're, you're, you're not going to accomplish it. It doesn't mean that you're not doing the right thing. What it means is you are living in a fallen world and you must have courage despite those feelings and walk by faith what David understood is that it was not his fight it was the Lord's fight in verses 31 to 37 David goes to Saul and he says I want to do it I want to fight him and Saul's like man you're too little you're too young you're too inexperienced why he looks at the external Goliath is a champion man he's too big he's too incredible you're too little and David says, no, I can do it. Look at verse 37. David says, the Lord who delivered me 
from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. This is courage. He says, I'm trusting God. This is his fight. He's delivered me before. He's gonna deliver me through this. I'm gonna have courage. I'm gonna be bold because I fight with God. God will deliver me. And this is the foundation and his ability to have confidence because he wants to honor the Lord. The problem with some of us is we're trying to have courage based upon our own strength. We're trying to be courageous based upon our own talent. And, and if we're hoping in our own skills and talent, we will always feel inadequate. David focuses instead on his hope in God's ability to give victory and God's ability to honor him through his faithfulness. Verses 38 through 40, Saul tries to put heavy armor on him. You remember that part of the story? And David has all this armor on him and he can't move. And he's like, no, 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 I can't do this. He takes it off and he says, I need my sling and I need some rocks. And he moves forward in battle in verse 41. Let's read it together. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with the shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. In other words, he hated him just by looking at him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Verse 44, then, and, and the, sorry, the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will get, give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beast of the field. A little, you know, uh, first century smack talk going on right here. Verse 45, then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Yeah, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. I want to beat my chest right now. Verse 47, and that all this assembly may know, listen to this, that the Lord saves. Not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into whose hand? our hand. I love that. David is recognizing that I am fighting something that is much bigger than what everybody else sees here. I'm fighting with God. It's, he's going to deliver this giant into our hands. Whose hands? I'm on God's team and all the people of God behind me, they might be scared, but they're with me too. I'm with God and God's going to win. This is his battle. God's with you, by the way. If you're a believer in Christ, you're not alone. That's what the church gathers for, to support and encourage and spur one another on to good works. Verse 48, when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and he took a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. 
Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head. We leave that part out of Kid Street, by the way. Imagine the scene, though. Here's this little teenage dude, you know, short in stature, maybe average height, running over to a 10-foot giant spread out on the ground, takes his own sword and cuts his head off. I mean, this is glorious. So look what happens. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. See, if you put your hope in another person, eventually they'll let you down. So they run. Verse 52, and the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout, pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sharam as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and he brought it to Jerusalem and he put his armor in his tent. So he takes the the decapitated head of the giant back to Jerusalem and he takes all of his armor and he puts it in his own tent, a little souvenir. Thank you very much. I earned it, right? I'm going to keep this. It's a little memento of what happened here today. Imagine the scene. Nobody put any money on David that day. Everybody thought Goliath would win. And yet David's faith Trusting in God here, he experiences victory. David had to be intimidated. He had to be nervous. The weight on his shoulders, the pressure on his shoulders. Imagine if he loses, the whole nation loses. This is an incredible amount of pressure that he overcomes. He overcomes all natural instinct to rise above the critics, to rise above the negativity and go toward the fight. And I believe David knew this fight wasn't his fight. It was God's fight. And this large warrior before him was nothing compared to God. What looks like insurmountable odds to you and I, it's nothing for an all-powerful God that we serve. Life lesson number four. True faith leads us to courageous action. True faith leads us to courageous action action. In verse 47, David says, this is going to happen so that everybody here, he calls it the assembly that is here, may know that the Lord saves, not with sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. See, the, the battle isn't fought with swords and spears. The battle goes much deeper. There's a spiritual battle. And when we fight God's battle, God's ways, you will always experience God's victory. He honors the humble and he blesses those who have faith and trust in him. Turns out Goliath wasn't so strong. He wasn't so awesome after all. But he didn't experience that until he walked courageously by faith with his God. When the Israelites see David's courage, when they see his success, they're all pumped. You know, they were cowering and and hiding But now that David won, now they're running after their enemy. And that's what courage does. It's contagious. If those around you see the courage and the faith in your life, you'll inspire and encourage your spouse and your children, your coworkers and your neighbors and your church members. It's contagious. 
when we see people walking with the Lord faithfully, we want to emulate that. And so to that end, we must run. We must have courage and be bold in that. Our country is dealing with a lot of racial tension right now. This has been a terrible week for America. Two African-American men shot and killed, Alton Sterling and Philander Castile, followed by five police officers being murdered. It's a terrible, terrible tragedy. My heart breaks for our country. It breaks for those families who have to experience this loss. And if you watch the news, whose side are you on, man? And, and, and are you going to go this way or that way? And everybody thinks they have the answer and this is what needs to happen. And I want you to go back to the moment when you learned the news that one of these African-American men was shot by a police officer. I want you to think about your initial response. What was it that went through your mind? Because that initial response might reveal something in your heart that you must put to death. We all look at situations through our own lens, our own experience, what we've learned through the various prejudiced notions that we might have. And as the church, we are called to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we don't view the external world as other people view it. We have a different view. We look through the lens of the gospel at every situation. And we, when we look at what is happening today, we cannot ignore that there is a very real problem with racism in our country. And part of the problem might be sitting in this room because your response might fuel hatred, your negativity might inspire racism, and your silence might allow it to take place in your own house, in your own place of business. So my challenge for you today is to repent of any sin that would lead to racism, to realize that we are facing a huge giant. Like this is a huge problem. The church cannot be silent. We cannot not lock arms with our black brothers and sisters in Christ who are hurting today. We can't ignore that. Galatians 6.2 says to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I want to bear that burden. My African-American friends, I want them to know that I care and that I have empathy for them and I, I, I want to learn and I don't have all the answers and I, I can't change culture by myself, but I can lock arms with them and I can also support my local law enforcement and let them know that I back them. They, they probably had the, the hardest job in the world, but I want to honor them and I want to honor the African-Americans who are also hurting and recognize this is real. And I don't want to be silent about that. I want to challenge you. What are you saying on Facebook? What are you saying to your friends? How are you teaching your children through this situation? And if you've allowed sin to creep into your heart, you're looking at things from an, from, from an external perspective and not a godly perspective. 
and we must get to the heart of the matter and the heart of the issue and realize that there is a giant to slay. And that giant is not racism. That giant is not your marital problems. It's not your financial problems. The giant that stands before you today is sin. You're not David. You can't slay this giant. But praise God, he sent his only son to be a giant slayer. And Jesus slayed the dragon that you could not slay to give you the victory to live for his will today. And so as a church, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, we want to walk in that victory and that freedom that he has slayed that dragon. God is not calling you to be David. He is calling you to be the man and the woman that he wants you to be. And there's a process that you must go through. And it must be a process of putting to death the sin in your own heart. We got to be vigilant about that fight. The real fight, the real battle is against your sin. And the fight against racism starts right here in my heart. It starts in your heart. And then that leads us to courageous action in our world. Some of you are facing sin in your life that you've not confessed. Some of you are facing it because you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior. And that sin stands and mocks you today. Just like Goliath, it stands up and mocks you in the morning and the evening and says you'll never be good enough. You'll never be the man that she wants you to be. You're always going to need another drink. You'll never overcome your addiction to pornography. Look, you're never going to do anything good for God. So just, just put your head down. Keep doing what you're doing. And some of you are experiencing a defeated life. Sin is kicking your butt. And you're not doing anything about it. You're trusting in your own power, your own strength. But I'm here to tell you that there is hope. There's hope in the name and blood of Jesus Christ, that he took all of your sin to the cross. He slayed the dragon for you. He crushed the head of the serpent for you. And by receiving him by faith, he forgives you of sin and gives you his victory for then you to walk in victory. You are no longer a slave to that sin. And if we'll get passionate about that, the gospel of Jesus Christ in your heart, in this church, for this city, then and only then will we begin to see racism crumble in America. So I want to ask you to bow your heads today as we close, and I want to have a serious time of prayer today. For some of you, there is sin that you must confess, you must turn from. It is killing you. It is robbing you of joy. That is the giant in your life that is destroying your relationships. And realize that through Jesus, he has already conquered it. Walk with him. Completely humble yourself before him and say, God, I cannot do this on my own. I walk with you. I believe in you. You are a God of miracles. And it's in you I trust. Some of you have never given your life to Christ. And I just wonder, you've been coming to church here for some time. Maybe God's been dealing with your heart. 
And for whatever reasons, today is that day that God has really just spoken to your heart. And I want to ask, as everybody else still continues to pray, is there anybody in here that would say, Trent, I need Jesus. I know I don't have him and I want to receive him today. Was there anybody in here that would say, you know what, Trent, that's me. Would you just slip up your hand? I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to know if there's anybody in here. Anybody at all say, that's me, Trent. I see you, bro. Takes a lot of guts to admit that. Anybody else? That's me, Trent, man. I've been experiencing, I've been feeling it. And I, and I know this is what I need. I need Jesus. Anybody else say that's me? Here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to help you make that decision, man. I want to lead you in a prayer. You make this your prayer. And I believe that, that God is in, in his will and sovereignty has brought you here for this moment. And if you'll mean this, and this is a commitment that is real for you today, God will save you simply say this to him, God, I confess that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus is the son of God, that he died on the cross in my place. Forgive me of my sin, come into my life and help me to walk with you for the rest of my life. Lord, save me today. In Jesus' name if you are sincere today God just came into your life and I want to encourage you before you walk home and leave when you walk out of this auditorium to your left there's a room called the prayer and care room and we've got volunteers and counselors in there we want to know about this decision they want to encourage you and help you on that next step of faith you'll go in there and tell them what you did they'll show you what's next they'll encourage you We've got connect cards at the bottom of every sermon guide. I encourage you to, if that's like not going to be you today, go into that room, at least put it on that card. Let us know. I want to connect with you. I want to help you. This is the first step of faith for you. There's so much more, man. And I want to I be that guy that can help guide you in that. So let me know. For others of you, as we close, I just want to pray a prayer over you. I want to encourage you to pray for this as well as we leave. Father, we confess that we don't have all the answers and that the problems in our country are overwhelming at times. But we know that you are sovereign, that you are in control. You are not surprised. Lord, we are fighting against an enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's having his way in our country. Lord, help us to know that our fight is not against each other, but our fight is against sin. Our fight is against the enemy, and his name is Satan. And he seeks to destroy, and he seeks to divide us, and we pray that you would give us the grace to see that and to overcome it. Help us to lock arms with those who are African Americans who are hurting. Help us, Father, to support and to love and to care, to stand up, to speak out, let us be a church, God, that would be changed personally and individually. First and foremost, help us to experience revival so that we are not apathetic and un uncaring, but that we would be an army fighting against your enemy, our enemy, 
and praise Jesus, we win. We win as we fight in and through your will. And so God, as we leave, help us to be warriors. Help us to battle. And we pray that we will experience your victory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.